You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Uh, I'm going to Columbus for my leadership academy, Ohio State Bar Association. He's one of 24 lawyers in the state that were accepted. I think only 24 people apply. Well, I think that's that's probably more likely. I don't believe that. Cut that part out. (laughs) Aren't you a partner now? I am a partner now. That's exciting. Yeah. Did you yeah. sign up for Leadership Mahoney County? Not yet. I've thought about it. I don't want to spread myself too thin. So I did like, I was the president of the Mahoney Valley Young Professionals, which I realized my age there very quickly because I... Like, you felt old? Oh, yeah. First time really in my life where I like, look around like the gray hair of the Young Professionals group. <laughs> so Young Professionals what was the are age in their 30s? It was like 22 to like... 26, kind of like the first few years where you're out of college and you have your you know, your degree and people are trying to get to know each other. And I'm like, sitting there as a 34-year-old little like- You got three kids. The Joe Biden of the group. <laughs> <laughs> I just stood up and talked. Some people could understand me. Some people couldn't. I sat down, drank my beer and went home at like eight o'clock. And they oh all kept gosh. doing their things. The things we do. <laughs> yeah. It looks great on, your resume. on the resume. I see like punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Give us. Oh, I don't even know if I can. Give us your top 10. Oh, top three. That might take a while. I got to think of the ones that don't have bad words in the names of the bands. Then I got to. You just start saying them. I'll, I'll beep problem, you out. Beep. Though, anyone who listens to this is going to has Spotify. will look this up and immediately judge me. Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> why we're That's here. That's the beauty right. of Spotify. Immediately judge me. Um, I like a lot of good punk bands. I'm trying to think in terms of. The same bands. Cleveland. Like- from high school, or well, you've I do. grown? So I, I've gone full circle. <laughs> Have you grown? I, that's a resounding no uh, to growth. But I, I've gone full circle in the sense that I grew up listening to my really lousy mid-90s punk rock. And then I went to a music business school in Nashville where like everyone looked down on that kind of music and was like, this is not. I went to Belmont in Nashville. Michael Amley also lived in Nashville. For the legal end of music? No, when I when I graduated high school, I wanted to be a music producer. What a switch. Yeah. What a switch. Well, and so <laughs> I went there for that and everybody there was way too, I mean, way too cool for school for my lousy punk music, and it also taught me that I was terrible just generally in music. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so you see, like how people who are genuinely good at music, Columbiana is like your big fish in yeah, the little pond. You go there and you're like, oh, I am horrible. I am so a- that was lesson number one. And then two, like I, there was a stage. I'd say like the first year or two, I'm like, okay, I can only listen to this terrible indie music because this other stuff is not good. And then I had this just moment of enlightenment where I decided I don't care anymore. I like what I like. I feel like that's like around. <laughs> When you turn like mid to late 20s is where you realize like I just don't care anymore. I'm going to keep listening to my uh, Weezer and I'll just make sure my kids aren't else. in the car when I'm playing it. Well, I just sort of <laughs> cough whenever they say questionable things. So yeah, to answer your question, I, I both now celebrate the music that I used to like. I still find it good, but also I'm old enough now to where it's had a, a rebirth in a lot of ways. <laughs> like I, I, like uh, I taught a music business class in Columbus to... A group of, they had to have been 18, 19, and I would have been 30. 
two probably. And uh, I remember like talking to them like the first day, like icebreakers. And the one guy, this like 17, 18 year old kid was like, yeah, I like, oh, you probably haven't heard of it. It's old music. It's called emo. I was like, <laughs> took my glasses off my face. and was like, son, one, did you just call emo old? And two, I like named five bands and you could just see his brain just melt. <laughs> <laughs> like this whole this old lawyer guy's talking to me about Hawthorne Heights. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very congruent with your look. Listen, I uh that's <laughs> about right. That's a high praise. Collared shirt uh, on and you know this smart is, glasses and this is what it takes to uh put food on the table, you know? <laughs> the but rest of the time. The rest of the time. <laughs> I also look like this, but uh <laughs> Listen to terrible. I was going to say, listen you're to terrible, always in Listen to terrible punk music. So you didn't put this on here, but aren't you a gamer? I do enjoy a game occasionally. The older I get, here the less I can do it. I'm very competitive, and we can get to that later, potentially. <laughs> Generally, right. if games are fair and good, I win them. And if they're bad and broken, Chris wins them when we play. Oh and you throw a fit? I, they're just not valid games. I tell them right. this all the time. Nothing that Chris wins at is valid. It's, 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 I either win or it's inherently broken. <laughs> then Chris wins. Yeah. Stand by that. So, so just a little heads up. Ed over here is a ninja editor. so He doesn't know what you're talking about because he, he doesn't, doesn't listen. listen to the podcast. Who's Ed? It's her some days. We have fake names. Oh, Thanks for jumping in, Brian. <laughs> After two years of podcasting, no it's sweat. great to know that you're. I sent you Chris's. He didn't you listen did? to that. Yeah, I sent you like three ah. of the guys. <laughs> I have questions. Well, on Sunday. Yeah, he's like, I don't know anything. I'll <laughs> just wing it. On Sunday, she's like, I sent you the questions, right? I was like, no. And then she sent me them a few hours ago, and I saw like I reset them. 30 unanswered text messages from her. <laughs> so that's my bad. Whoops. I will take no offense. I choose not to be offended. <laughs> Brian said the reason that he's actually decided to come visit the podcast is to call out all of his sworn enemies. Yeah. So really, there's only one reason he's here, and it's not to share his testimony. People on blast. I'm ready. (laughs) I like to use the podcast for speaking to people, hoping that they'll listen, not you, because you won't. But other people (laughs) will listen when I'm speaking to them. Like Elizabeth. Yeah. I got you a date open Tuesday nights. Let's do it. Are we ready? Yes. I woke up sounding like a man today. And you sound bad, too. Are you... This is my normal speaking voice. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like you've got a cloak, No. (laughs) Only helping one here. Just kidding. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Betty. It's Ed. It's for real Ed today. And we, we are here with the distinguished... Honored. What do they call that when you're a lawyer? Lies? No. Like, <laughs> our lawyers at our board meetings have a special thing on their name. Esquire? Oh. Yes. Esquire. Why? Before or after. To feel good about themselves and after. Why don't we... we wait, is Esquire another name for lawyer? No, seriously. What? It's, I don't the, know it's that. like the designation you put That's at formal. the end of a name. ESQ. Oh, it's the end? We to- have Esquire Brian Coulter Esquire. We'll just double it up. <laughs> With us today, we are so honored. We had to pay him. Why not just a, a brave lawyer? One. Brian's homegrown. He's a homegrown Esquire, <laughs> born and raised in Columbiana. 
He spent all his years as a Columbiana Clipper. He went to college at Belmont University in Nashville and graduated in 2011. He was going to study to be a music producer and decided that was not his calling. He applied for Ohio State University, Moritz College of Law, graduated from there in 2014. He's been married to Hope for 12 years, and they dated for how many years before? Four. Getting old together. Off and yeah. on or four straight? <laughs> four straight. <laughs> there was a, st- if you include the stint from eighth grade, it's like. I'm including it. A little four and a half. <laughs> you and Hope are very reminiscent of kind of like the Megan and Josh thing where they started talking in junior high at youth group mm-hmm. because that happened, right? It did. She wouldn't really make eye contact, but it was, it was the, the best eighth grade relationship one can have while not speaking to each other. Exactly. Or hardly looking at one another. Yes. Yeah. Called her a couple times. I think Dave asked a few too many questions and then she broke up with me. <laughs> yeah, too much heat. It's not, not worth it. They've been happily married for 12 years. They have three kids. Gwyneth is five, Emmett is two, and Leo is eight months. He loves nonsensical arguments, punk music, and competitive lawn sports. He yep. wants to win everything. Yep. He's a bit of a gamer for good games. He's been at the upper room on and off since he was 16 with Hope, probably at youth group. So tell me more about this, because you grew up in the Catholic church. I did. So you're coming to upper room youth group, which is probably very different than how you were raised? Yeah. My church had a youth ministry and all that, but a lot of my friends, so I, I would go to that, but my friends at the time, Andrew Striefler, Brad Bancroft, and eventually Hope, all came to jam. Mary Beth and Chip, they were leading at that they, time. They were. So we would have it uh, sometimes at the church, but then also at Chip Studio. They were very kind and gracious to allow me and several of my friends to hang out there because we were terrible. But uh, yeah, it's just a good place to spend time as a, a teenager. It's not getting into trouble somewhere. So just started hanging out with that group. Yeah, once we started dating, I would come off and on. I feel like through college a lot of the time, but when I was home, I'd be here. Really around that time, I'd probably switch to like Catholic mass. I would do, you know, the big Christmas and Easter. That's about it, as do most Catholics. <laughs> and I still enjoy those masses. Those midnight ones are hard to make with lots of babies. They are. And I, I did it as, as a baby. I don't really know how my parents did that, but there's a lot about it that I, I still like. And it just feels like home. I just mm-hmm. growing up in that, my dad was a deacon, so I enjoy it. Brian Hope lived in Columbus for a few years. And just recently, I don't know what recent is anymore, three years, have recently moved back to the area, living in Canfield, Ohio, and Killing coming, it. coming to the upper room. Yeah. Are you on a hiatus from the worship team? Just be honest. <laughs> Kate, Kate wants to know. <laughs> this one is entirely up to Hope because the thought of her prepping all three kids to bring them by herself a rough day. is a formidable one. So. Oh, yeah. We want Hope here. He's on a hiatus from the oh, worship nice team. But he also was a part of the Upper Room EP. I heard he wrote a song, no. but he doesn't want to talk about Chris it. Chris wrote all the but, songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, he's an amazing songwriter. We were actually talking about it in the car yesterday. After church, we got in the car. But we don't talk about that. And Chris said, we don't have to talk about it, but we will. We were in the car, and Chris was saying, I still feel like that's one of my favorite worship songs that we do. Because he wrote it. Of course he loves it. Yeah. He said, man. Anyhow, you have to get the EP and read the information to see who actually wrote it. Pretty sure it's going to say The Upper Room. 
mean, that I'm may here. not be entirely correct. I was very thorough in my due diligence during the uh, EP <laughs> I, process. I think it actually did go okay. legally into Chris's name. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is going to make a ton of money and you're going to be mad. You know what? <laughs> High stakes, he gets all the glory or all the shame. What do we have so far? Eight dollars. Yeah. (laughs) Eight dollars to split ten ways. Here's some kudos to Brian. He was named the best lawyer in America. (laughs) No, no, no. He's on the one to watch list. That would be sweet. (laughs) That would be awesome. Don't strike that. Claim that. (laughs) We're speaking life into you. (laughs) That's on my list. Wait, no, it's... It is too. (laughs) Read the whole thing. Named... Best lawyer in America. He's on the one no, to watch list. In, it's best lawyers in America, one to watch list. Like they make a list. I and said that. You said he's the name the best lawyer in America. And then I said on the one to watch list. <laughs> hey, we're you, speaking life. You over make you. it sound this like two separate the best things. lawyer in America. This is great. He got a Cali, C-A-L-I. What's that stand for? Oh gosh, you don't I have remember. No clue. Anyhow, he got an award for excellence and achievement. He's a rising law star from the Columbus Business Journal. Anyhow, we're very impressed. And Brian does have a public service announcement he would like to make. I'll let him make it. He's so sorry. Oh, my kids are super loud in church. Yeah, that was my... She asked if there's anything else I wanted to tell everybody. And it's usually it's my kids screaming. One of the three. They have such great screams, though. It's unbelievable. Every one that I have just gets louder than the last one. I heard they sound just like you when you were their age. See, that's what people say. I've heard I that. I don't know. Maybe that's why I have such a weird voice now. It's just I, <laughs> yeah. I spent all my... It's like, uh, what's wrong with just you? Just burned through the pipes <laughs> by the time I was four. You sound like an 80-year-old. That's fine. I feel like an 80-year-old. I'm here with old lawyer dude and Ed today. <laughs> so I shouldn't talk. I had a birthday, even though I didn't change numbers, but... I played oh, pickleball, yeah, and I am sore today. I haven't played pickleball all winter. How was your birthday? It was very fun. I had my big kids come home. It's so good. Everybody was around, so it was fun. What kind of cake do you do this year? Oh, I get lots of cakes. What kind? Because I have two different offices, so each office got me a cake. And then my mom made me a lemon meringue pie, oh and then gosh. I asked for Blarney Stones for my party. <laughs> and I have like five that I oh my gosh. get every year. Look at you. I'm spoiled. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a spoiled birthday. And now I've wired my mouth shut and will not be eating any cake for a while. But anyhow, great to have you here, you. Brian. Happy Thanks, to be Brian. here. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for saying yes. You know what? I've been asking you guys for a long time to be on here. I'm glad you finally let me do it. Yeah. You had to get the Best Lawyer in America award first before <laughs> we were going to have you on. <laughs> you know, that uh, disturbingly large number of those were either unopposed or handed to me. So I appreciate you uh, making me look much better than I am. So thank you. Oh, my gosh. So tell us, Brian, who or what turned your light on? I don't think that we're using lighting metaphors. I feel like that's like a... Fader type experience. It's been on as long as I can remember. I grew up in the church. I feel like there's been moments where it's been brighter or dim. But I feel like for me, my parents were very active in the Catholic Church. So my dad was a deacon, which is the highest position a married man can have in the Catholic Church. My mom was the director of uh, religious education. So I was always in Catholic Church, Holy Week. I was an altar boy. I was always around. It was never not a thing. I mean, I, I was always raised learning about God and Jesus and everything else. And I know some people have their firm opinions about Catholicism, whatever else. And growing up to me, just Christianity was Christianity. I didn't really see myself as being different from anyone else. 
And in some respects, I feel that way now we don't open that can of worms. But I would say throughout the various stages, my dad, I think early on, just helped me with some of the intellectual challenges and thoughts that I had. I've always had an intellectual approach to religion. I've always sort of struggled. I see those people who wear religion like a warm blanket and just like roll around in it and scream and are super emotional. Like I, I will never be that way. I'm open to it, but I, I will simply just never be that way. So I've always had just sort of intellectual questions and challenges. And my dad was great with that. So my dad was very good at conveying to me that one person's idea of God or one person's characterization of God was not necessarily everybody's. And that's not to say that, you know, you can just have these wild, outrageous perceptions of God, but they're those sort of non-material things that some people really latch on to that aren't deal breakers. They're not, they're immaterial, really you know, shouldn't let you believe that you don't know who God is. Mm-hmm. So like the example that I use, and I hope may or may not get mad about this, I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to speak as broadly as I can. But like one of the first, I feel like, serious discussions we had dating related to this concept of like new earth. And, you know, she grew up in a non-denominational church. I grew up quite Catholic and going to public school. So like I learned about how old public textbooks say the earth is and dinosaurs and everything else. And we were watching like a nature show one night when we were dating. This was when we were like 17 or 18. And I was talking about this like snake. And if you take an x-ray of the snake, you can see the hip bones from where the legs used to be millions of years ago. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. And she was like, that's not right. It started this thing. I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, what are you talking about? And we started having discussions on like, am I Christian? Because I think that the snake may have had legs like a million years ago. Like, can we possibly be in a relationship together? And I was like, talking to my dad about that, and he'd be like, what? You're an idiot. Like, what are you talking about? And so it was like very early on walking me through those challenges when I, I had moments like that, or even in college as I, I took Bible classes and learned about the Bible is also a historical text and how it relates to similar historical texts in the Hindu religion or even the old Babylonian religions. And like me walking that edge of not necessarily atheism, but agnosticism and just deconstructing and trying to figure out how it all pieced back together again. And he was really, really good at that. But also, I think on the same token, my wife absolutely helped me and opened, opened me up, I think, more to a more personal and I would just say sort of prayerful and thoughtful relationship with God more than just an intellectual one. I feel like Catholic Church is very much, there's a lot of things I like about it, but it was all intellectual for me. And then just the sort of ritual aspects of it, it really wasn't that prayer, reading Bible, or just conversational type of religion that I was used to. I just didn't know what that was. And then I would also say, I, I think some folks in Columbus at our church there were really, really good at community. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no idea what sort of religious community looked like, especially in a place like Columbus. They were very big on, they didn't call them small groups, they called them missional communities. And that was sort of their their focus was living life with each other, being extremely intentional about getting together for a meal once a week, helping each other move, helping each other with anything they have going on, and, and, and intentionally being with people that don't necessarily fit your friend demographic, right? So like my small group or mission community was a lady named Claire who was um, <laughs> by herself and, and needed help from time to time and some families and some, you know, divorcees or, or young couples. It was just a really good mix. Just learning that like, I think I helped more people move in that four-year window that I ever have in my entire life, but just sort of learning that, li- living in what the Bible says day in and day out, and, and being intentional with people and texting them and, and staying active was really eye-opening to me. 
that's a very long-winded way of saying I feel like it's always been on, but it's I think I've learned different things at different stages. We did forget to mention the familiar lines that we have here. So Brian's married to Hope, who is Kate's sister. Yep. And Brian's sister is Emily Estock, who's also leads worship here at the upper rooms. Yeah. We've got some family ties here. Do you feel like you've grown from becoming a dad? I mean, the last couple of years been eye-opening spiritually for you? Yes and no. On the one hand, I'm just tired all the time. <laughs> so like any hope that I had of like sitting down and really trying to dig into anything is just completely evaporated. I mean, I, my time for just like prayer, just contemplation has always been like in the car on the way to or from work because it's like uh-huh. some of the rare moments where I'm not exhausted or someone screaming, screaming at me. Yeah. But another way, yeah, I mean, I think that it's never mattered more to me I'm stepping into the role of a father and what that means and what the Bible says that role should look like and, and trying to be that is a challenge day in and day out. One of the things that, you know, my dad was incredible at and really gave me a, a glimpse of God, I think, was just his patience and his steadiness. I mean, there was nothing you could say that would really frustrate him. There was nothing you could say that would make him look at you any differently. He was... um extremely steady person. Yeah, I mean, I I try to embody that the best I can and try to be, you know, sort of the guardian of my children and how they're supposed to treat each other and the things, the values that they're supposed to have. I think all that is rooted in faith, but it's a challenge when I just want them to stop screaming, you know? (laughs) And I look at our kids in discussions about your mom and dad. I just feel like I look at our kids and even though there isn't necessarily like this direct familial relationship, they were around Martha and Terry enough to even in as they you know start their junior high and high school years, they still remember how Terry treated them and what Terry said to them. Every time we would go over to Terry and Martha's when they were little, he would come and he always had suckers. He always had suckers all the time. And so he had them for the girls and he was always so kind and very, very sweet to them. And they remember how good he was. And also even with Martha, when the girls were growing up, you know, even in our kids, they would go to summer vacation Bible school with her for, I mean, for years they went and she would take them and they'd go for the week and she'd have them in class. And they loved St. Jude's Vacation Bible School, and they they got to learn and take stuff from Martha and remember Terry and all the great stuff. So I feel like, you know, your parents are still having an impact, which is crazy to me. Anyway, sorry. No, I appreciate it. My dad passed, I think it was 16. Like, we were consoling others at his calling hours. Like, not it was not the other way around. It was just patience and everybody. Yeah, he was just very kind and, and patient person to just, just about everyone. So if I can be a fraction of as patient as he was, <laughs> I'll be a success. Yeah. But it's a challenge. That's really good. So tell us, Brian, what lights you up? Competition, uh, as referenced. I enjoy, I mean, it's uh, justice. I think that I, I picked the right profession in terms of I really like helping people who are in situations that they don't understand how to navigate. I, in a narrow sense, what I do day in, day out, I help a lot of business owners, especially in the past couple of years, just solve a million different kinds of problems, not just being sued or suing somebody, but, you know, with the pandemic, people not being able to pay their rent, trying to get PPP money and, and just navigating what's been the Wild West the past few years. 
seeing business owners cry just because they don't know what they're going to do and then helping them find money here and there to keep lights on and, and things like that has been rewarding. And also too, I mean, the day-to-day business things, um, helping people who have been wronged in terms of getting stiffed on a contract, get their money, or people who are wrongly accused of something uh, defend themselves. And so try to tap into that and savor that when I can. In a broader sense, you know, like the the social justice, not all social justice movements, um, but certain ones that I am passionate about and I was involved with, like Capital Habeas Unit. I know this may be too hot button, but the death penalty, I assisted death penalty inmates who were on death row in, in Ohio and worked with the Federal Public Defender's Office and got really interested in that. And just seeing how the system in some ways it works. I'm not the kind of person to jump on the criminal justice system, but in one, some ways it is fundamentally broken. And that's something that's, I, I really get passionate about and would love to get involved with again. It's just sort of hard to do that because there's already lawyers there doing it and it's, it's hard to get involved. But Have you studied justice in the Bible? You know what? I actually, when I was in Columbus and going to my church there is when I was interning for this and working for this capital habeas unit and I, I did. So, like, it wasn't through a formal program. It was like my pastor, who I think was, if I had to guess, probably a pro capital punishment guy. He and I sort of wrestled with that. And so we, like, sat down and talked about it. And I think that uh, I was always very big on his name was Scott. Scott's an awesome guy. But I would say, like, listen, even if we assume that this is like a, a valid thing, the question of whether or not we entrust it to humanity to administer it in a godly way is a totally separate question. And I can tell you, having seen things like we cannot, we absolutely cannot. Hmm. So that's that's a separate discussion. But I, I have studied it and I know there's obviously the red letters and what those say about forgiveness and everything else. But I know that reading it as a whole, there are other provisions that could be construed to not necessarily condone it, but permit it. It's an interesting issue. And I understand where people fall on it. From my perspective, though, I just reading these case studies and the people who are on death row there's not one of them that's just like Brian Coulter walking down the street. He's a maniac. He's just going to kill these people because he's just got nothing else to do. It's almost always somebody who, from the get-go, has had everything you could possibly imagine. Some things you just can't imagine happen to them, mm-hmm. right? Kids mm-hmm. who are being injected with psychedelic drugs against their will by their parents because they think it's funny and sleeping in pool halls and abuse of every kind imaginable. And these are the people who grow up completely and inherently broken, who do something and then, depending on which state they're in, and frankly, the color of the person's skin that dies has a disturbing <laughs> correlation to whether or not they live or die. So it's usually not even the race of the the defendant. It's with this whole, was it, Gabby Patino, the white woman syndrome, I think they call it, right? If you look at the number of people put to death for allegedly killing a white person versus allegedly killing a person of color, it's pretty troubling. Well, you said something very profound. You said we were on opposite sides of the issue and you sat down and you discussed it. Very rare. And I think that that is something that is missing right now is people are so polarized, they can't even have a conversation. They can't even entertain that they may not know everything. I think that's great. I think it's funny to me, like some people think everyone thinks the same way they do. And then you find out like, oh, no, we're sitting in the seats. We're sitting in seats next to people who think differently. And that is okay. And we can still work together and love Jesus. And it is possible to have civil conversations. 
And sometimes people have to agree to disagree, but I think that's what's missing from society right now. I think it's, yeah, I think, I, I think it's our duty to have civil conversations. I was always raised to, you know, you don't talk about politics or religion. I've lived long enough now to where I've seen what has resulted from that policy. I don't feel like it's good. Like everyone's just super entrenched. Maybe not on Thanksgiving dinner. You can wait right. and have it well, later. Yeah, but. time and place. I get that. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you asked me the question, have I studied biblical justice? And I have no problem saying, like, I, I do not know everything about that. I know sort of where the rubber meets the road, how it plays out. And I'm convinced on that alone. But like, I, I'd love to talk to somebody about it. But I just think not enough people are willing to admit when they don't know something. Right? Mm-hmm. There's just too much pride in that. And I know it's, this probably isn't the podcast recording Socrates, but it's one of my favorite quotes, which is, wisest is he who knows what he does not know. And I approach like, my practice of law that way. I, I don't need to know everything about every issue, but like, I want to know like, what I'm not thinking of. I want to be prepared to at least spot an issue. I think, especially now, there's such a convolution between politics and religion, especially. I think that some people, good and well-intentioned people, just don't have the patience or open-mindedness to approach certain issues and just say, like, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. I could be wrong. I could be right. And I think that goes a long way. And also, too, there, there's theory, right? There's, there's, I guess I won't call it theory. I'll call it <laughs> theology. Which, And then there's practical, you know, again, rubber meets the road, practicality of it all. Especially in the world of, like, constitutional law and and people don't know anything. I mean, the hearing that I just got off of before this, the lady who's just a Late, she's a fact witness. She was just talking about how you know I can't do this; it's illegal. I'm like, well, I'm I'm a lawyer. I don't know if that's illegal or not. So I ask her, like, are you a lawyer? Have you been trained in this to know if it's legal or not? No, it's like so. You just like, I think we just sometimes we make assumptions that we understand things that are very complex. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of parallels between law and the Bible, right? It's again historical text. I'm when one context, I'm trying to read the Constitution and and understand what it says, keeping in mind the the time that it was written and who wrote it. And the Bible is very much the same way, right? And I know how complex the jurisprudence is on a number of areas where I, having studied as long as I have and devoted uh, a decade to it almost now, I don't know a question unless I spend a lot of time, the answer to a question unless I spend a lot of time researching it. And so I think sometimes we just kind of lock into a religious version of that. So mm-hmm. this is the way it is. I'm like, okay, that's because your dad told you that like 30 years ago. And you really haven't researched it or thought about it since then. Right. Thank you for saying that. I do appreciate someone coming on here and just being like, there is a need for deep thought. The society and culture in which we're living now, there's such a lack of that. Yeah. It is designed to evoke an emotional response, like every news thing you read. And yes. what especially drives me crazy is when extremely complex issues are reduced mm-hmm. to like two word catchphrases, like pro life. Like, I think everyone's generally in favor of life or pro choice. I think everyone's generally in favor of choices. Let's not reduce subjects worthy of like a PhD level dissertation to like a kindergarten writing project that you write in crayons. It's just like so much is glossed over at 30,000 feet that how can you have an intelligent conversation? Because you hear those two words and I'm shut down. I'm done. Depending on which two words you say to me. Mm -hmm. So Brian, what's your advice for folks out there that say, maybe I want to learn about the other side or get a different person's perspective? Oh, what, gosh. What's your advice for people? Uh, stop watching the news would be the first, of, first thing. <laughs> I think that people are convinced that if they don't have 
cable news on or, or go to the website 24-7 to read what's happening, that they'll be ignorant. And I think it's actually the, the opposite can be true. But I think the first thing you can do is just cut out those sources of division. Because, I mean, I, maybe I'm a little cynical, but I think that most news sources are... From both sides. Both, both sides. Even I the mean, middle ones. They're, they're businesses. <laughs> they're businesses. So, like, they want to make money. For That's profit. Priority number one is making money. How can we keep you... How do we make money through ad dollars? And how do we keep viewers up to make the most number of ad dollars possible? To keep you, you outraged. <laughs> outraged. Fear. Afraid. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I just think, first of all, in like 2020 broke me with corona and election and everything. I just, like... Shut it down. I ordered the paper. So I get my vindicator once a day. I read it for like 30 minutes and I just don't read anything else or I try not to. When things, recent events in Ukraine, I've been reading more just because that's outrageous. But I think that's the first thing you can do is just separate yourself from that media machine that I think is just horrible for not just churches, but everybody. <laughs> and then I think too, just people need to get comfortable with the notion that they might be wrong on certain issues, and that if they're wrong, it might be okay that they're wrong. I think some people are just convinced that if this, going back to the immaterial issues I was talking about, right, like you've just latched on, you've made this immaterial thing material, and if you're wrong on it, then your world collapses around you. And it's like, hmm, no, you just kind of move on. And, and we don't know everything. We don't know everything. And I think there's too an aspect of humility that has to come in. Yeah, no one, no one wants to talk to somebody that acts like a know-it-all. I mean, it's been that way since grade school recess, right? Like, I just don't want to, don't want to be around a know-it-all. But anyone, I think, that approaches an issue with humility and open-mindedness and kindness, right? I think that you can make way more inroads than you would be with just saying, this is right, this is wrong, deal with it. Yeah. Hashtag get over it. <laughs> I have uh, felt like on certain hot topic buttons, I have an opinion and I think that the Bible is clear about it, but I've always said, if I am wrong, I still want to be known for loving people well. You know, is there is there room for me to think I am wrong on some of these issues? Sure. Because I, I can talk to people who love Jesus and read the Bible and think very differently than me. And it's not my job to convince them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But, you know, I want to know, like, if I am wrong, I still want to be known that I was loving to people. I really appreciate Adam Grant, but he talks about the importance of curiosity to remain curious. There's kindness even in that. There's kindness in coming into a situation with curiosity and questions before decision-making, before stating all of the things. I mean, I I think it's part of the reason why, you know, Ted Lasso's so magnetic to some people. He says, be curious, not judgmental. Yeah. That's so good. Talk about living Christ-like without, I've seen all seasons, there's not certain, some certain areas where he doesn't live Christ-like, but talk about Christ-like principles in the mainstream and it's magnetic, right? So it's like people want to be around that, just approach things with curiosity and, and open-mindedness instead of judgment. I think sometimes people too just always sort of find those moments in the Bible where there's Jesus flipping tables or something, and it's righteous anger or whatever else. It's like, well, that's, that's Jesus. You are not Jesus. <laughs> I have a lot more confidence in where that's coming from. It's just like, come on, putting yourself in some pretty uh, rare company there, bro. Another person that I follow on Instagram is Sharon Says So. It's Sharon McMahon. She's a former government teacher, and her sole purpose is to teach people the rules of the government because she's like, everyone's so ignorant. They just get up in arms and they don't even understand how the government works and to be kind to each other. She's a good one. That's another great parallel. I have to have conversations with people all the time. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's illegal, right? (laughs) 
it's, I have to say that to a surprising number of people. Like, you were fired. And they're like, this wasn't right. They were mean to me. And I'm like, well, there's like five to ten reasons why, like, they're not allowed to fire you. And if it's not one of those reasons, it's an at-will state, I'm sorry. But I'm drawing the parallels. It's like, just because you're outraged by something or you don't like it or vice versa, like, doesn't mean that you have to justify it in your religion somehow. It's possible for you to not like something, but for your faith to say it's okay. It's possible for you to really like something and for your faith to say it's not okay. I feel like that's so good when specifically talking about faith, because I feel like we do this all the time. I don't know if it's necessarily our intent, but oftentimes what ends up happening is that we end up making God look just like us. Oh, yeah. Everything that I believe is definitely God. All of my opinions are God's opinions. It's like God always agrees with me. It's fantastic. Right? (laughs) Yes. Things just like me. So you've shared a little bit with us about how you're letting your light shine just by helping people. You want to expound on that? I will admit I'm not great at letting my light shine. <laughs> I, uh, I tend to get stuck in the foxhole mindset with three small kids and just try to get through the day. But I feel like I do try to be, my job can be very uh, confrontational at times and frustrating at times. And I, I try as best as possible to be counselor to people. I mean, that's, that's I do provide you know business counsel. But beyond that, just kindness. I don't know. That sounds sort of strange. I think that's sort of the base thing we're all expected to be is kind. That can be hard when people aggravate me. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's I, a straightforwardness that comes from that. So I, I try not to be a bully when I don't have to be or, or, or too aggressive, but just matter of fact. So I can say, you know, I'm not going to name call. I'm not interested in going back and forth with you. Here are the facts. We will win on these facts and have a good day. Right? There's, there's ways to do my job without being a jerk. And I, I try to do that. It hasn't broken me down yet. Well, I don't want you to to fly by that statement about you being in the foxhole with your three kids, because sometimes the brightest place we can shine, even though you don't feel like on the outside you're shining, is at home with your kids and your wife and just living the ordinary, trying some days it's like, are we surviving? (laughs) It feels like that. But showing kindness at home, showing patience, being present, that is so powerful. And You're changing your kids' lives just like your dad changed your life by his patience and his care that he poured into you and your mom. That's amazing. And we should never gloss by that. I got a long way to go. (laughs) His patient is terrible. I just just, just constantly say, quiet down. (laughs) Because it's just, but I appreciate that. I also have conversations with Hope. It's like she's a marathon runner. I'm like a sprinter. Because I'll come home and she'll always be like, you're not allowed to be frustrated yet. I'm like, I'm a sprinter. I'm here for like, I'm, I'm built for like an hour of this. <laughs> like, I'm going to do my best. But like, I'm going to be a lot of fun for this hour. <laughs> Timer's on. Countdown. That this time. Hour, ding, this hour's ding, ding, ding. up. Like, I'm not going to be as fun as I was. <laughs> so I'm working on that. Brian was also on the worship team for a time. I don't want to make it sound like you're gone. <laughs> In his hiatus. I was say. He's been on the worship team. He's blessed the church with great music and great sound. And even though he's on hiatus and we all understand babies and children and all of the time that life can take up in that. But I feel like the church as a whole has been blessed by that. And with his songwriting and music that you did not write. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, That's been a huge blessing to the church as well. I have people who text me all the time. They're like, what's that song? Where do I find that song? Do you remember these lyrics that we sang today? What were those? 
You're doing great work. I don't great even job. know what we're talking about right even now. Even in your hiatus, people are still getting life and light and are getting to worship because of you. It's so cool. After our discussion of all things intellectual, now we get to talk about supernatural experiences. Oh, man. <laughs> do you have any that you'd like to share? Or do you feel like you've experienced something that's not been intellectual or you haven't been able to explain? No, I have not experienced anything that would be considered a textbook example of sort of supernatural intervention. I'm fully aware that one cannot be Christian without believing in supernatural things. It's a very supernatural story. If you were to just put it in a yeah right <laughs> any other context and any other book and sell it, it would be in the uh, you know supernatural section if there were one. Right? I'm aware of that. That said, no, I have not had anything that's happened to me other than I feel like just generally. In retrospect, I've seen God's providence over my life in ways that are just, yeah, sort of sort of hard to explain the sense of just being in the right places at the right time, the right things happening to me and putting me in situations that I could have never put myself in. So, you know, like an example of this would be, this happened a bunch um, over the years, but when we moved back home from Columbus to here, it was a huge challenge just because I had student loans and the markets are completely different between Columbus and here. The pay is a lot different from Columbus and here. And we, for years, we flipped, the only reason we could move home is because we flipped a house. So I spent every night and weekend for three years flipping a house. And then finally, we ran the numbers and we thought like, we're going to eat ramen and it's going to be like super tight, but we could probably take an enormous pay cut and move home. And I found a couple, a couple of opportunities that came up. I landed at one. And then like a week later, I get a phone call I did not apply to this firm. I did not know there's an opportunity at the firm, but like a, a firm just called me and said, I heard you're moving back. And they made me offer for like 20% more money. Didn't get me back up to where I was, but like a actual, like, like I could, okay, I can actually like not starve on this. This is good. That firm I worked at for a year. And then when Hope was eight months pregnant, it closed. Partners called the associates in the office and were like, sorry, boys, can't keep the lights on. You have 30 days. And I was like, well, that stinks. But I was driving to Canton almost every day for that job. They were trying to start a Youngstown office, but like it really was not close to happening at all. But when that happened, the other attorney that worked in Youngstown just said, like, I'm done with this. I'm going in-house. I'm going to work for a company. And just gave me all of his clients, essentially. Again, I got a phone call from my current firm, which has an office, you know, five minutes from my house, and said, we'd love to bring you on board, gave me even more money, bring me back up to like basically where I was in Columbus. And then because I had like, I just got handed all these clients, I was eligible for partnership and was given that very quickly. Just sort of things that's like, I would not have been able to do myself at all. It would have taken years to be where I am now, but purely by things that seemed horrible at the time, like I'm in a way better position than I ever would have been. So that's I, what we call supernatural. I look back at that and I think like that was absolutely God just grabbing me by the head and putting me where I needed to be. And is that as sexy as seeing yeah, somebody like, you know, awesome. see for the first time? Probably not. Oh, I love it. And well, that's the thing. There is no textbook. I don't really think there's a textbook supernatural. We need to be looking for God's hand. You call it providence, supernatural on our lives because I think it looks different for everybody. And I think it's so good to be cognizant of what has happened. You know, we look back, we remember, we think about the things that we've walked through, and we look at how we've seen God move. Like you were saying, like, pick me up and place me here. Those things were out of your control. You didn't call them, they called you, you know? Mm -hmm. It's so good to look back, especially in the time we live right now. Everything's so 
scary. There's so much fear. But God's always so good. You look behind us, he's so faithful. So, yes, there's a lot of providence to see. That's really good. That's a great story. Yeah, first first instance of seeing something truly crazy. I'll, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> you'll be on the podcast again. If and when that happens. Well, Brian, it's been so fun having you on here and having an intellectual conversation about some deep things that some people could feel poke their buttons. But I think it's good that we talk about it and that we hear things that may not totally line up with the way we think they should, because it makes us think outside of ourselves. And I think it, hopefully, it pushes people to have more conversations ask Holy Spirit and Jesus to teach us. I don't think that happens all the time. So I think it's been really great stretching us today. So Yep. I feel like discussions like these, even if they come to points where you disagree or you end up in different places, they always make God bigger. The idea that sometimes I feel like we make our God so small because he looks just like you. But these conversations make space for God to be encompassing in a way that we don't get to see or experience when we're just in our own little worlds and not having these discussions. And sometimes we are just called to live in mystery because we don't know everything. I don't think it'd be fun to serve a God that we could totally figure out and look and thought and acted just like us. He's much bigger than that. And so... I don't think you can open yourself up to understanding all of that if you don't approach conversations and community as being a double-edged sword, right? I think some people get so, people who have been in the church for a long time get so in the th- mindset of, I need to fix these broken people. I need to bring people into the church. And they stop sort of, they always think, oh, yeah, I could pray more or I could be nicer to my wife. But like they never think like, is there something about me that's still fundamentally broken? Or like, am I still fundamentally misunderstanding something? And I think unless you have that humility to say, I'm going to try to help others see God as I see him. But at the same time, I'm open to hearing others who are just as educated and thoughtful and passionate as I am, unless you have that openness, I just don't, you can't possibly expand yourself to the point of being able to understand God more. And may we all operate in the fruit of the spirit of kindness, and may they know we're Christians by our love. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye!